0: So even Jeff Bezos was duped by social engineering and the human factor. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I am your host Rick Jordan. And today, is a brother of mine in the cybersecurity industry. I'm pretty excited about this because he is the CEO of Berkeley Veratronic Systems or BVS. He is the author of three best-selling security books, Hacked Again, Cybersecurity is Everybody's Business and Senior Cyber. I'm intrigued about that last one a bit here. He's seen on ABC, Bloomberg, CBS, CNN, Fox Business. Scott Schrober, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks uh, for Scott having Schauber, me. Scott Schober, right? No R. Schober. Yep. You got it. Good, man. It's good to have you today. So uh, Yeah, nice to be here. Cybersecurity, what's your background, my man? Because I just read off a whole bunch of accolades for you, which are phenomenal, by the way. But what's your background?
1: Yeah, b- background is really I'm running a, a technical company that focuses a lot on wireless threat detection tools. We sell them to DoD agencies, mainly in Fortune 500 companies. And prior to doing that, go back more than 10 years, we really focused on really building wireless propagation tools, test receivers, transmitters, all used to set up cell towers. And over time, the offshoots of all of that, we learned what makes cell phones so vulnerable. And that really got us heavy into security and security tools and hence the tie-in with a lot of the cybersecurity. And that's what kind of got me into the book writing once we got targeted and hack. So it's a, it's certainly an interesting journey, but our business is a 49-year-old company. It's actually a family business founded by my father, who's still CTO, but he's retired. And uh, it, it's interesting because you could see over generations and time how... Threats have changed drastically to where we are now, where kind of it affects all of our lives. All these different hacking and, and cyber criminal activities. That's impressive. Forty nine years old too. I mean, wireless didn't
0: wireless phones didn't really exist at that point in time.
1: No, there was nothing back then. In fact, we the first contracts we actually got were about the mid nineteen eighties when we actually designed the first test tools to figure out how in the world to make all of these wireless phones work and where to place the towers. It was a daunting task, but it became the mainstay of our business. And even to this day, we're still building 4G LTE uh, test tools. And everybody here is on the TV, they're all the carriers are bragging about 5G. And now that's a big push, developing tools to test those standards to hopefully make our phones and wireless devices work much better.
0: That's awesome. I was fairly interested in just the tech piece of that. I remember working at Radio Shack years back and uh, back then, that's right when digital was first coming really to be a thing in wireless technology, too, because everything prior to that was analog. And I remember that there was always just there was an A carrier and a B carrier. That's all that could exist in any market right now. And now we have multiple carriers, you know, and they're using si- different simultaneous airwaves. There's even spectrum sharing that exists now be to- that are partners across different uh, parts of the industry. But it's been an intriguing evolution, I'm sure, security, because you're talking about how f- vulnerable cell phones are. I remember... <laughs> yeah you know, cell phone cloning days when the whole phone would be cloned with uh, the ESIN number. You know, does that something like that still exist today? To Because I, I don't know, to where like a SIM card can be cloned?
1: Yeah, there, there, there's there's certainly SIM jacking and other things like that, but it, it's certainly different. You're talking a lot of the stuff back in the 80s and early 90s where they, they would actually take the IMSIs and they would tumble it. And that was in the days of, of cellular analog Amps and E-amps, and we, we actually had some cool security tools back then. Even we built cellular interceptors for Title Three law enforcement agencies, where they would actually listen in on each side of the conversation. And when there was a physical handoff from one tower to the other, we would camp onto that, and then we had it automatically start tape recorders. And it was fun because being younger in the business at that time, I got to listen to these crazy conversations. It was mostly drug-related, and 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 nuts. These, these guys talking on the phones and they were flipping and tumbling all the, uh, the, the the phones that they could, but it was mostly drug stuff that the government agencies were chasing down and they used our equipment successfully to to really close a lot of the drug rings back then. But it was kind of a scary time because it was kind of easy to do for people that had technical knowledge. Like you mentioned, people were going to Radio Shack and you can buy a lot of the common things and make modifications to equipment, and you could steal the MZs and do other kinds of uh, things that were not legal. So uh, it's gotten much harder to do, but people still utilize wireless as a conduit. Now they do it more for, for cyber criminal type of things for stealing credit cards and uh, skimmers. And that's a huge part of our business as well. So, uh, ATMs and gas pumps where they're constantly stealing credit cards. It's unbelievable.
0: Well, I've seen uh, videos, of course, too, you know, with ATMs and then also at gas stations where yeah. they'll put a small device almost kind of around the card reader. So when mm-hmm. they slide the card in and out, sure, the gas pump is still functioning normal, but that secondary reader is also reading the card information every time they swipe. Is
1: that what you're yeah. talking about? Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's a couple different types of it. And, and as technology advances, so do cyber criminals. The typical ones where you take an actual physical bezel and put it over the reed head and they embed a tiny skimmer in there, they're very effective. But as people caught on and they would jiggle the bezel and look with a flashlight and pop it off and see a second skim head there, they got leery of it. And what happened is cyber criminals said, oh, let's use wireless. Let's make a Bluetooth skimmer. So now they couple a skimmer, which is basically a magnetic reed head small microchip, and then they couple that to a Bluetooth module and make a tiny little skimmer board, they place that inside the ATM or inside the gas pump. And and I always wondered when I first started investigating this years ago, how in the world did they get in? Yeah, no kidding. That's where I went. I'm always
0: about the human side of cybersecurity, and there's still, (laughs) there has to be a physical
1: person that plants that thing inside a gas pump. Well, think about this, and this is the part that blew my mind, and not many people talk about it. There are basically six keys to open up 90 plus percent of the nation's gas pumps. So you can go on eBay for about 20 to $30 and buy six master keys, and now you can open up and get inside any gas it's pump. It's like vending machines. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs access to yeah. it. The gas attendant, the owner, national weights and measures, and the guy that's delivering the gas, so on and so forth. So... It's kind of generic and it's almost a joke in the industry. You go to any pump, you can open it up, look inside. Well, cyber criminals realize that. So what they do is place the skimmer, and there's conveniently on top of where the reader is for the card, there's a, a simple Molex connector. They plug in their skimmer, place it inside the rat's nest, close the door. It takes about 15 to 20 seconds for a good cyber thief to place a Bluetooth credit card skimmer that's it 15 to 20
0: seconds my god
1: (laughs) and that's it and then then the good news of it they never have to go back to the scene of the crime per se they could sit 75 feet away which is about the range of bluetooth maximum sit in their car on their computer and they can query each pump and get a couple hundred stolen credit cards each and every day and then they go back to the their house they burn these credit cards and then they go shopping usually Well, they'll buy gift cards and then give a $100 gift card to Victoria's Secret to their girlfriend in exchange for $50 cash. And they kind of launder the money that way. Huge enterprise. And they do billions of dollars in stolen credit cards each and every day.
0: Help me with this then for everybody who's listening, because it's obviously, you know, magnetic stripe readers have been around for eons, right? That was one of the oldest ways in the book to steal a credit card number. Then we came out with the chip, right? Which the US was way far behind compared to the EU when it came to the chip. But now post COVID. Okay, but after the pandemic, you start to see on gas pumps and literally everywhere because things like Apple Pay and contactless payments were not very prolific prior to the pandemic, especially on gas pumps, man. And I just even noticed this the other day. I still don't see a lot of gas pumps that have mom, but I'm starting to notice them more to where they have the, it's, it's laughable for me, the contact, contactless payment reader. Yeah. <laughs> I say it that way because like, oh, contactless payments, you know, and I'm in Costco. I'm like, I still have to put my card, to yeah. the, to the same screen that just touched the card of somebody else that was in their back pocket by their butt, you know, so, I mean, yeah. these are the thoughts that Not go through dreams. my head. <laughs> yeah, you know, my card's t- touching somebody else's, the same surface that somebody else's cards touched It was just in their wallet. So whatever, yeah. but still yeah. from a security perspective at these gas pumps, you tap it. Is that more secure
1: than yeah. the more traditional methods? Yeah, you you make a brilliant point. And, And really, that's where things are migrating to. And part of the reason they didn't migrate to it, why are we 10 years behind in the United States? I have no idea other than regulations between the petroleum industry, the issuing banks and everybody else. Because think about it, when credit cards are stolen and gas is pumped, everybody's still making money in the process. That's part of the sad part. The gas station doesn't lose any money, whether it's a stolen credit card, it's your credit card, as long as the gas is flowing, they're happy, and they wanna stay out of the business of upgrading the security, because to upgrade the security to more secure methods within a gas station is very expensive. The law at the end of October of last year mandated they have to start the process, which means it's gonna take a year or two before we're gonna actually start seeing security upgrades at all of the gas stations nationwide throughout the United States. But to your point, Apple Pay, and really any type of digital payment that's using NFC near field communication is extremely secure. And why? Because it's really not taking your credit card data off your card, your your card number, CVV, expiration date name, so on and so forth. It's not transmitting that information. Rather, instead, it's sending in encrypted token one time through the payment ecosystem and the issuing bank says, ah, yes, this is Scott Schober, this is his credit card. So they're holding the private information at the bank. That's very safe. And that's why we don't hear about breaches with Apple Pay or Google Wall or other types of payment methods of that. So I always prefer to do that. If you can't use cash, it sounds stupid, but old school. Cash is king at the gas pump until the security upgrades, as you mentioned there, where you can take actual nfc payment by apple pay or google wallet or some other form that's truly secure well sure yeah use cash obviously that's the
0: the most safe when it comes to having anything stolen but well maybe unless you got some do with a gun standing there but i get yeah. too many <laughs> points on my credit cards man i'm all, i put everything on my credit cards yeah. uh, there's not much cash that i carry or even use it for that much anymore i appreciate you saying that too because I, I remember when apple pay first came out it was even that you would see almost like a virtual car, card number. There was a completely separate number, and really it's a token, as you're saying, that is assigned mm-hmm. to your device, that there's a matchup that incurs after the encryption takes place uh, between, hey, it's you, and then this is the token that matches it. But I really appreciate the security because my card data is
1: not in my phone. Yeah. It's, it, it's scary when, you, when people realize it, and, but yet they're still not adopting it. I, I'm still not sure why. I, I use Apple Pay. I love it. I'm, I, I am a huge Apple fan, and I do like the entire ecosystem. And I think the fact is, do you pay a premium for it? Yes. However, you're also paying for security. And I think that's part of it. You have to look at the big picture and step outside and say, am I going to stay secure? The answer is yes. Now, in the early days of Apple Pay, there was actually a lot of talk about um, it's not secure, people were saying. And there was a breach and cards were getting compromised or, or phones were getting compromised, the accounts and this and that. And what really happened as they uncovered it, it was really the fault of the issuing banks. In other words, cyber criminals were smart enough to go and call the bank and pretend they were you. And they would fool the banks basically by saying, yeah, I'm sketching over here's the last four digits, <laughs> my social security number, sign me up and boom, they'd steal an iPhone or get a burner put an Apple Pay account on it and go shopping on your nickel. They finally got smarter and they're doing thorough background checks and really vetting everybody before they link up the cards to the cyber criminals. There it is. This
0: is what I always say, man. There's always such a huge human aspect of cybersecurity. It's people calling in, pretending to be you. You know, it's, it's no digital whatever there. It's just freaking social engineering and mm-hmm. duping gullible people. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. How did I would ask the question, but there's no answer, man. How do we overcome that? <laughs>
1: oh, there, there really is no way other than making people aware. Awareness is important and, and just learning best practices. And and to your point, it's really good. The human element. In fact, that was the theme of of last year's show at RSA when I went out there. And a lot of people forget that aspect too much, and they're thinking too much about technology and security coupled with technology. And that is important, but there's always something that away, a backdoor, there's a vulnerability that can be exploited. And usually, I've seen with just about every breach that I've analyzed and done research on and wrote about, there's that human element that people forget about. They're complacent. They're lazy. Oh, I don't want to use multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication. It takes too long. So when they skip a step and they're not thinking security and they get complacent, that human element, that weakness is where the hackers will exploit or the cyber criminals will really try to exploit. And it's like you mentioned too, social engineering. How do they start any type of um, attack. They're going to think about how can they garnish as much information to get into a computer network. Uh, most of the cases, if they're trying to get into a law firm or accounting firm or, or company, they're going to pull in the parking lot, they're going to sit in the car, they're going to pick the phone up, and, and I've heard this scam is done often, they'll say, You know, they'll call the receptionist answers and say, hey, uh, XYZ law firm, we've got an important proposal. It's got to get over to Mr. Smith immediately. I just need to get the password to your Wi-Fi system so I could send that email. And if they talk fast enough and sound convincing with the right names and titles and buzzwords, the receptionist frantically goes, oh, gosh, what is that? Password one, two, three. Uh, Okay, great. Thanks. I'll send the proposal right over. Don't tell Mr. Smith. Guess what? Now they have a conduit to get in to the network, work laterally, start gathering information, compromise the company. So, social engineering, even though it's old, decades old for for the, most of the cyber crime that we Dude, see it's the really most effective. Back <laughs> yeah, it's
0: the you know? most effective. It's also the cheapest. Very it's the yeah. cheapest from an R and D perspective, because you want to, I heard somebody say from the NSA one time I was talking with, them, it was like, you know, these zero day threats that exist in order to mine those that takes millions of dollars of research and development in order to develop this bot in order to get into whatever system you're trying to get into. It's like, when you invest that much, you want to save that silver bullet for like Putin's laptop or something that was, those are his words, you know, yeah. but if you can just pick up the phone and call a receptionist, like you're saying, and get the password to their Wi-Fi network in just 30 seconds flat, that's so much less time and less money that's invested to
1: still gain the same kind of access. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. we we were doing an interesting chat. I I belong to a group of um, cybersecurity professionals, and we go on Clubhouse usually every Friday afternoon. And, And one of the topics was social engineering. And every guest that we would invite up to the stage, we would ask them something, well, what's your pet's name? Or, you know, what's this? What's that? We try to find security challenge questions, answers to them. And it's amazing how many people just divulge it. And they're like, oh, well, my dog is Rocky. Uh, Oh, thanks. So you (laughs) you see how easy it is once a barrier is broken down where there's a little bit of pressure. When someone's on the spot, on the phone, in front of a microphone, a camera, lights in their eyes, they might be thinking about what's going on around them instead of the question being asked. And they just innocently share it. That's how social engineering is so powerful. When you couple that with the human weaknesses of of trust and innocence, because we always want to trust people, even though we don't trust people, you can take advantage of that.
0: Let's talk about the the trust and the innocence here a bit too, because one of your books is Senior Cyber. You know, Mm -hmm. how are, or why even, are seniors and the elderly often targeted by cyber criminals and scammers?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And, And in a lot of my research, before writing the book and even during, I talk to a lot of seniors, and I think that one common fundamental is a lot of seniors worked hard all their life. They have savings. They care. They, they want to yeah. communicate with people. So they tend to have that innocence, and they have trust with people, and they're lonely oftentimes, especially the latter part of their life. If they go to assisted living or nursing home, they're willing to talk to anybody. So if that phone rings, guess what? They're going to pick it up. So they're more innocent and trusting, and they're more likely to hold a conversation and give away information. You call my house phone, my teenagers don't even pick it up. Nobody answers the phone in my house. Let it go to voicemail, right? They'll the Text me if, if it's really important. Scott, you the still have a house phone? Is What's that? <laughs> you still have a house phone? <laughs> I know. I still don't know why. We don't use it. It makes no sense. Everybody lives on a mobile phone these days. Not seniors, necessarily. A lot of seniors still have a good old house phone, and as they grew up through technology, when you first got a house phone, what happened? It was on the wall. It was an old rotary dial. When that phone rang, within two rings, it was very polite to race over the phone and say, hello, the Schober residents, can I help you? They're used to that. They're trained to do that. Or my dad would always say, Jordan "Jordan Nuthouse, Chief Nut speaking. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I think that's one of the the biggest reasons, though. Trust in innocence and and having some assets in, in your latter part of your life, your life savings, There's something there to target for hackers and cyber criminals. They want to go and see if they could steal some of that. And I think the combination of social engineering, phone scams, and phishing scams Mm -hmm. are really popular with seniors. Every senior that I talked to had some sort of scam. Either they fell for it or part of it gave away some information and maybe their, their caregiver or their son, their daughter stopped them in the process. I think that's really important to realize. So if we're supporting a senior, we have older parents, take the time to talk to them, review the basics, that human element, that communication. So they will share with you if they got a scam, a call or email or something else before they click it, before they give away the credit card or whatever it is. And In senior cyber, I share a couple actual scams that happened to my grandfather. And he was 99 years old before he he recently passed. But his background, he worked at Bell Labs. He was an engineer. He worked on the first Telstar satellites that went to space. So this was a smart man. Yet he, too, in his latter years, fell for scammers from the stock market to a scam on sending them gas. They just need his credit card for a processing fee. So he, they, they used his innocence I guess, in his trust against him to give in because they built up his ego and made him feel good. So seniors really need to be on guard. And I stepped through the processes and some of the emotion that seniors need to realize in senior cyber, just so they can be prepared how to respond or how not to respond if, if they're a victim of, of cybercrime.
0: Right on. I know even, uh, you know, post-COVID with the pandemic too, s- senior cyber attacks are on the rise too, especially yeah. with the with everything that's been going on. But even along those same lines, there's also a new movement, you know, work from home, you know, and there's so many mm-hmm. more remote workers that exist now, you know, yeah. how has security changed or even become more important with that movement that we have that's been just multiplying exponentially?
1: Yeah, that's really allowed cyber criminals to pivot to other targets going for your home office, working remotely, and people set up overnight. It it seemed to have happened, right? Because they're on their computers and they're mixing their work laptop with their home smartphone. They're using their personal Wi-Fi that may not be secured, that they've given the password out to, you know, their buddy that came over to watch the football game because he wanted to check his email. So what happens is all these layers of security that are really good in our office, that all goes out the window almost overnight as everybody migrated to the remote office, furthermore, people are doing what? They're connecting in remotely. So that opens again, the conduit to connect into the work um, network. And are they using a strong password? Are they using multi-factor authentication, so on and so forth. A lot of times, the time element isn't there and they're rushing and they're they're logging on and off and doing different things like that and sharing documents, keeping it up in the cloud. all of these things open up that window of vulnerabilities that hackers and criminals can try to exploit. So it, it's been a mess, needless to say. Um, some companies have got it right that really said, slow down, let's stage this out and follow a procedure to make sure we have security at the top of the list. The companies that didn't and just turned the switch and sent everybody home and said, hey, you got to work from home, figure it out. They're having nothing but problems. They're having phishing attacks and ransomware and a whole host of problems. So well, they open the front door to their castle. Yeah, pretty
0: by much sending yeah. everybody out with everything. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I do know too that because I'm in the same industry, and I see a lot of this misconception that you have to spend a lot of money or you have to be very technically savvy in order to have the proper security. what are your thoughts around that?
1: Well, I think like it's too much money, right? Yeah, I think that that's certainly a a misnomer. I think if people and companies, small businesses up to the Fortune 500 companies can step back from it, and and if they're not objective enough to do it, I always encourage them, bring in an expert, hire a third party to come in that could be a little bit more objective and maybe even get a, a, a vulnerability assessment, get a penetration test so you could identify clearly where your vulnerabilities are within an organization so you can shore up all those Little weaknesses, because otherwise if you don't know what you're protecting, it's hard to know where do I spend my money? Yeah. And and it can be daunting. You say, Oh gosh, uh, you know, I'm a small business. I can't spend $100,000 on cybersecurity tools. Well, maybe you don't have to. Maybe it's a combination of some very focused spending on things where you're lax and other areas you buy a, 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 a good shredder. Do you have a good shredder? And are you shredding personal information? <laughs> Guess what?
0: Old school. Are,
1: yeah, right on. Yeah, old school. <sighs> it really works. So if you're not doing that, a, a good micro cross cut shredder is two to $300. If you got the little 1995 one at Staples, that ain't going to cut it, no pun intended, because it just gives long strips. You could lay that out on the floor, put a camera over it, press the button, and the algorithm can repiece the uh, the shred together, so now you've got an actual digital document. So it didn't really serve its purpose. And and why do I say that? Uh, this was probably about two years ago. Plus, um, I had a credit card. It was expired. I had a new one issued, and I simply cut it up on my uh, on my desk with scissors, threw it in the garbage can. That was Friday. Came in Monday morning. Our building maintenance guy says, Scott, you got to come outside and look at this. I went out by where all the the, the garbage cans are. My credit card was pieced together on the curb. And I'm sitting there looking, going, what the heck is that? Somebody actually went through our garbage, dumped it all out, pulled all the credit card pieces, put it all together, and probably took a picture and ran before the cops came. Fortunately, the card, again, was was, was already expired, and they weren't smart enough to realize that. Um, but it told me right away that and we're in a corporate park. They probably go around somebody that's bored or stupid and just looking to prey upon what people throw out in the garbage that they don't shred credit card numbers, cut up credit cards, social security, perform identity theft, whatever it is. After that happened, I got paranoid. I said, we're buying the best shredder. We're doing this, we're going to have a <laughs> mandate. It always takes Shred them. everything. Right so,
0: on, man. I toured a, uh, I toured a recycling facility this was several years back. And when I was walking in, I mean, it was cool seeing all the huge scales that they have and everything, but you know, everybody, at least in my neighborhood has a recycling trash bin, right? Mm -hmm. And all all the recycle goes in there, paper, plastics, that, that kind of whatever. And when it gets to the recycle plant, I saw so many pieces of intact personal mail. I mean, I'm talking from like the social security administration, credit card statements that have the full number that are on them from chase or American express. And they're just laying all over the floor. And that was the biggest thought I had was, well, this is like a cyber criminals. heyday. They yeah. don't have to spend the, the R&D thing again. They don't have to spend millions of dollars to get your info. All they have to do is walk in here because all your crap's sitting around, right on the floor, perfectly readable. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, th- these are the things. So, a shredder, even at home, buy a, buy a $99 shredder. Go to yeah. Amazon. Come on
1: now. Do something. Yeah, yeah. And, and the same holds true about um, the next level of things that people don't think about. Hard drives. Everybody's got old computers lying around with hard drives and cameras with old old uh, memory sticks in them. Um, Anything like that, a a printer, a fax machine, a scanner, they all have memory, right? Flash memory where our digital documents and private information still probably sits and that people just put them out at the curb free. And and think about that. If you're a cyber criminal, you could drive around a neighborhood on a, a junk day or whatever, recycling day. It, it, it's, it's a ton of information that you could gain in one day that's probably worth tens of thousands of dollars if you go and sell that on the dark web. So I say if you, if you got nothing else, if you don't have a way to shred a hard drive properly and degauss it and everything else. That's okay. A big hammer works really well, but for larger corporations, <laughs> and it can be a good
0: stress relief too, right? Exactly, yeah. it, it
1: does make you feel better. Use a use a company that you can try. E, ERI is a huge recycler, one of the biggest recyclers that handles e waste, and uh, we, we use we recycle our batteries through that and other things. So you know you're keeping yeah. things safe from a cybersecurity perspective, but you're also doing good, hopefully, to the environment and and having that nice combination. Again, it makes you feel good and you're contributing towards something, but keeping yourself or your company safe.
0: For sure. Apple, I mean, you're big into wireless security, too, and I think we could probably end the conversation here because it makes sense. They just released an update, right? And uh, there's there's a stage talk that I have when I'm presenting in front of crowds of people, the difference between security and privacy. You know, because yeah. they're very two distinct things. They can go hand in hand in some ways, but they perform different functions for you. And I know Apple just released iOS 14.5, which mm-hmm. starts to add in, and this was the, this is the whole reason for, I don't know if anybody's listening, saw in the news over the past couple months why Apple and Facebook have been going to war oh, with each other. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I'm going to ask you to weigh in your thoughts on this, but this update here, because Apple now is, somehow becoming this huge, maybe they got caught too many times, man, I don't know, because you know, they were capturing Siri in plain audio, you know, and reviewing exactly what people were saying to try to make Siri better. That's fine. Then they became more transparent about that to actually ask you if you want to send that data. Great. That would have been nice to know to begin with. But now iOS 14.5. Facebook hates it, Google hates it because you now have the choice because Apple's making it completely transparent what data these these big tech companies are starting to track on you. You know, where do you see something like that going in the next couple of years? Oh,
1: I think it's going to be an all-out war because, and and by no means is Apple 100% innocent. They've had their hiccups with privacy and mistakes and bugs and and they've had to address them. I think the good news is I think most of the stuff they have addressed and they're selling, if you buy into the Apple ecosystem, you're buying in in part because of the security. You feel more secure and hopefully your devices are more secure. And I think that's an important piece. Of You're talking equation. compared to
0: Android phones, correct? Or
1: something else? Uh, yeah. Yeah. In, in, yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, now contrast that from the world of uh, advertising where Facebook, Facebook, unfortunately, I think has done some things that I would kind of equate to more criminal type of activity with what they've actually shared. With people and sold as far as their information and browsing habits and likes and so on. Whereas Apple, that's not their core business model. So it is easy to Apple to, to, to point their finger at Facebook or Google. Um, it's not easy now for Google or Facebook to get out of this one, because if you think about it, with the growing share of the iPhone it kind of resurged again, I think, a lot of people are going to be opting out when they, when it comes to it, because they're going to like, I don't want all this collected information sold and I don't need to be pushed to all these ads from Facebook and Google and, and the like. So I think the battle is really going to rage on and on. And uh, they're going to be counter striking against Apple, trying to make it very hard for them. The problem is once one company makes a boo-boo and there is a privacy breach, and then public trust is lost. So they really got to all be very careful going forward because there's kind of a line in the sand right now where things are. I look at the recent AirTag. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yep. These little tiny um, Bluetooth low energy tags, they're selling them for about $25 each. I start thinking about the power of that, what you could potentially do with that. Now, good news, Apple put into it, they baked in security into it as well. And there's some ultra wideband that they're they're using on the latest iPhone with latest iOS, which is important. But they've got some anti um, spying or stalking means in there. So people can't just track other people, drop one in your kid's bag and start following because that could be scary. Mm-hmm. But But there are some scary implications with some modifications that somebody could do if they want to take down a terrorist and use a drone with a missile strike and follow somebody and and knock them out. It's like a low cost GPS tracker in a sense. And the ultra wideband gives them accuracy to about a half an inch. That's ludicrous. It's unbelievable that they can do things like that. And that's indoors. So um, amazing technology. I think there's going to be a lot of battles ahead between the tech giants coming out. And I think a lot of it's going to be predicated upon what federal laws come out, what you can and can't do, that's going to affect a lot of things with technology, uh, but they're all going to be making a lot of money off of it, that's for sure, because we as consumers, we keep opting into this world of IoT and sensors and uh, kind of waiving our rights when we download apps. The famous stat I, I loved when I read it that, that I share with everyone, the average smartphone user has over 50 apps they've downloaded, most of them freebie ones. And it, to read all the terms and conditions would take you three months just to read all the terms <laughs> and conditions that you already agreed to. Who read all that? Nobody did. It's a joke. It's, it's written in legalese. So we have to realize that what we're buying into and what we're trading or giving away in return for playing Candy Crush or whatever game we want to play on our phones.
0: There was a Jeff Bezos, of course, was hacked a couple years ago, you know, via the WhatsApp app. But to that point, the terms and conditions, and maybe we'll end the show today with this. It's funny, and you know, I don't necessarily agree with the with the form of the humor, but what was sent to him and caused him to click on the link to where his iPhone was hacked is that you remember the EULA, EULA, right? End User License Agreement. That's what really terms and conditions are for these apps and everything. And the joke which caused him to tap was the EULA is like women at the end of the day you just scroll through don't read anything and hit i agree <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what caught him and that's why he tapped that's on right. the link that's how yeah. he got hacked because then yeah. saudi arabia injected the code because he tapped on the link so even jeff bezos was mm-hmm. duped by social engineering and the human factor scott yeah. schober everybody scott where can we find you
1: uh, i'll my website scott schober.com and then i'm busy on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. And yes, unfortunately, I'm guilty. I signed up for Facebook just recently. <laughs> just <laughs> Well, welcome to the club. We're all there, yeah. right? <laughs> Thank yeah. you, my man, for bringing your
0: expertise and also for having some fun with me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Greatly appreciate it. Stay safe. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me, 312-535-8520 follow me on social media at mr rick jordan see you next episode i am rick jordan and i approve this message